So beavers are pretty amazing creatures, aren't they? Y'all ever got fairly close to a beaver? They're a lot bigger than they look in these pictures, first of all. Uh, They're some of the hardest working animals on the planet. They're amazing engineers, as you see in the next picture. They make those things called beaver dams that we uh, hate, especially if you're a property owner. It's amazing how fast they can uh, work, and, and they work so hard, so steadily to put each piece just in the right place. And next thing you know, there's water blocked off. Now, again, if you've got beavers on your property, it's not so amazing. It's aggravating. Um, and you probably don't care for these little critters. But one thing that, that, that we all uh, can agree on, there's no denying beavers have an amazing eagerness, don't they? That's where our phrase, eager beaver, comes from, right? We use that phrase to speak of someone who's extremely zealous and committed and intense about their work. They can't wait to do their job. They show up early. They stay late, not because they have to, but because it's truly their joy. You know, eager is a good word, is it not? It's not one we use very often, but eager is a good word, and it's an admirable character quality, generally speaking, to have, to be eager in your work, to be eager about your tasks. This morning, as we begin a study of the book of Romans, I want to ask you this question. Does the word eager describe our relationship to the gospel? Does the word eager describe your relationship to the good news of Jesus Christ? Can it be said of me that I am eager about the good news of Jesus? We're going to see this morning, Paul was eager. He was eager to tell others about Jesus. And though he'd never been to Rome, he unfolds the gospel most fully in a letter to the church there in Rome. He writes to them because ultimately we learn throughout the scope of this letter He wants to get to Rome. We read about that this morning in chapter 1. And then he wants to launch from Rome further into the unreached parts of the world to the west of Rome, even Spain, Scripture tells us, with Rome sort of as his home base. Up to this point, what church had been, since we studied the book of Acts not long ago, what church had been uh, sort of the hub of the mission-sending activity of the early church? Antioch, Jerusalem was sort of the, 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 the founding place, but Antioch uh, there in Syria had become sort of the, the hub. Well, now Paul is trying to establish another hub so he can go further away from Jerusalem and his homeland into the unknown parts of the world, the, the unreached parts of the world towards Spain. It's certainly with a humble eagerness that I lead you into a study of this epic letter today. Romans is no doubt Paul's magnum opus. This, this, is, this is the big one for Paul. Paul wrote this letter from Corinth, we believe, about 57 AD while he was there collecting the offering for the suffering church in Jerusalem. You can read what he was up to if you flip over to Acts chapter 20. That's about the time period he's writing this letter. So here he is in Corinth to collect an offering for the suffering church up in Jerusalem, which is where he was headed. And think about it. It's pretty interesting. While doing this most practical of work, collecting an offering for suffering saints in Jerusalem, he writes his most complete gospel theology, if you will. 
the letter was probably delivered, uh, taken from Paul, delivered to the church in Rome by Phoebe, as we learn late in the letter, the deaconess from Centria, which was a port city right near Corinth. She was probably the carrier of the letter. And so we began this morning a study of Romans. And we want to think about it for, I have no idea how long, by the way. Acts took about 40 sermons. This is Romans, so I don't know. We covered chapters at a time in Acts. You don't typically do that in Romans. We're going to think about this letter under the heading of the gospel of the righteousness of God. We already pointed out early on, first verse, he's, a, he's, a, he's been appointed to the gospel of God. And we're going to see this this morning and throughout the book. This is the gospel, particularly, of the righteousness of God. And this morning, what I want us to see in verses 14 to 18 is in being encouraged about is being eager and unashamed. Even as we see this in the attitude and life of Paul, we can be eager and unashamed. And here's the take-home truth. Our eagerness to share the good news of Jesus with others depends on our confidence in the power of God to save. Are you eager to tell people about Jesus? Here's the, the direct correlation in your life and in your heart and in your mind. Are you confident that God can and will save people through that gospel? If you're confident, then you will, in fact, be eager. It just works that way, doesn't it? What you're certain about, you're eager to tell. When you hear good news and you know it to be true, you're eager to tell it. Now, if you're not sure about it, If you think it may be suspect good news, if you think it may be fake news today, right, then you're probably not going to be so quick to repeat it because because you're not confident that it's real and true. But when you get good news of something that's true, that's solid, you know the story's good, you've seen evidence of it in your own life, then you're eager to tell that good news to somebody, right? Typically, anybody that'll listen. Romans chapter 1, verse 14 through 18 One more time, we'll just reread those verses. Paul says, I am under obligation. What's Paul's relationship to the gospel? He's eager and unashamed. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I'm I'm obligated to the world, Paul says. That's verse 14. And that includes you guys. They're in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, here's how that power of God for salvation works, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God, there's something else revealed, not just the righteousness of God, but the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, that last verse, which begins a long section, chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, is the bad news, right? Uh, The good news comes and is laid on top of the foundation of the bad news. We, We see the goodness of the good news against the dark backdrop of the bad news, right? And it's what makes it so good. And and Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven right now against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's one of the reasons I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's one of the reasons I'm eager to preach it is because men, women, boys, and girls are going to a devil's hell every day because they're enslaved to sin and thereby justly under the righteous wrath of God. Chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20 is the bad news. The reason we need to be saved in the first place. Rescued. Rescue from what? Save from what? Save from the wrath of God against our sin. So right off the bat, the gospel's becoming clear as a bell, isn't it? Right here in Romans chapter 1. Make no mistake, all are condemned by God because of sin. No matter the degree or depth of sin, no matter your background, race, or nationality, no matter whether Paul makes clear in verse 14, you're considered educated and sophisticated or part of the lower class and common folk, whether you're educated or barely graduated, it doesn't matter. You are under the condemnation of Almighty God apart from Jesus Christ. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. And because it is, Paul said, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. I am, I am not ashamed. I can't be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. There's a way for you to be made righteous, even though today you're under the wrath of God. That's why he preached. Again, our eagerness to share the goodness, good news of Jesus with others depends on our confidence in the power of God to save, to save from his wrath. And so how confident are you this morning of God's power to save you, to save your neighbor, to save your family member, to save your co-worker from his own wrath? Is your God that strong? Can he do it? You see, the test of your confidence in God's saving power is found in answer to another question. How eager are you to talk about Jesus with others? These things work, work kind of in a circular fashion, don't they? If one's true, then the other's true. If, if the other's true, then the other's true. Kind of like that. If you're confident in the gospel, as we said before, then you'll be eager to share. But here's the test of your confidence. Are you eager to share? Are you looking for those opportunities every day when you go out into life? Are you, are you keyed in that people all around you need Jesus? And because you're confident in it, you're eager and looking for those chances to talk about him. You see, that eagerness reflects a confidence in the power of God to save. Our eagerness to share the good news of Jesus with others depends on our confidence in the power of God to save. It is my prayer that your confidence level will ratchet up even by the end of our time together this morning so that you, when you leave here today, you'll leave here eager to tell someone, a specific someone is my prayer, about Jesus with an urgency that, that cannot be ignored in your heart. That's my goal. So... How does God save through the gospel, the good news of Jesus? How does he do it? If you're going to be confident that he can and that he does, and thus motivated to be eager and unashamed in your life and interaction with others, then you've got to, be, you've got to understand how he saves us through the good news of Jesus. First of all, see with me in verse 18. God demands righteousness to have a right relationship with him. This is what we've already started talking about from verse 18. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Why does God's wrath come? He's righteous, we're not. It's that simple. 
His righteousness meets our unrighteousness, and His wrath is justly provoked by our sin. It's the only God-like and and the the only reaction God, who is holy, can have to sin. God's righteousness is revealed, according to this verse, in His righteous wrath against our sin. We are under condemnation because of the righteousness of God. Does that make sense? He's righteous, and we're not. Everybody on the same page? This is still yes. All right. Romans 3, 23, and also 6, 23, the first part. Here's what those two verses say. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And verse uh, chapter 6, 23a, the wages of sin is what? Death. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. We'll launch into a study of uh, that next week and more about it. But God demands righteousness to have a right relationship with him. Never make any mistake about this. God is not an old grandpa who just says, hey, you know what, that life of sin you've led, all those, all those offenses against me, we're just not going to worry about those. We're just going to act like they didn't happen. And in unrighteous judgment, basically, dismiss your, your unrighteousness. It doesn't work that way. That's not the gospel of God. The gospel of God says God is righteous and you too must be made righteous. If you're going to be right with him, you have to be righteous. The problem is you're unrighteous. But here comes the crazy thing about God and his gospel. Secondly, God not only demands righteousness to have a right relationship with him. Secondly, verse 17, God gives the righteousness that he demands. And this is the beauty of the gospel of God. This is the good news of the gospel. He demands righteousness, but then because you're unrighteousness, unrighteous because I'm a sinner who can't, I'm a leopard, as the Old Testament would say, who can't change his spots, right? I'm a leopard who can't make myself into something else. I'm a sinner by nature. I can't change myself. He not only demands righteousness for you to have a relationship with him, but he gives the righteousness that he demands. The truth of the matter is, folks, unless he gives it, we will never have it. We'll never find it. We'll never earn it. We'll never come up with it. There's not enough leaves to turn over newly to get good. Verse 17 again, for in it, in the gospel, this is why Paul's not ashamed of the gospel, that he says is the power of God to salvation. This is how the, 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 the power of God of sal- in salvation works. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, so, so catch what's going on with the righteousness of God here. Just as God's righteousness is revealed in his righteous and just wrath, God's righteousness is revealed in his righteous grace in Jesus. And at the the end of the day, you know what the sum total of all that is? God's righteous in it all. He's righteous in his damnation of sinners, but he's righteous in his justification of believers in Jesus Christ. We'll see more about that in Romans 3. We'll read it in just a minute. We'll dig into it in a few weeks. God gives the righteousness that he demands. He justly demands righteousness. 
you're unrighteous, I'm unrighteous. He condemns, his wrath rests on us until we come to the one through whom he's given the righteousness that he demands, Jesus Christ, the only Savior. By the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in our place, God gives us a right relationship with him. He forgives our sins completely because of the price Jesus paid. He declares us righteous because Jesus' righteousness, that is, Jesus' perfect obedience to the law of God, has been imputed to us. It's been deposited in our spiritual bank account. If you'll Think of an, take another uh, image uh, with me and think of another uh, way to illustrate this. We've been wrapped in our righteous Savior so that when the Father looks at us, he sees the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus himself. Isn't that an amazing salvation? God who demands righteousness for a right relationship with him has given righteousness to you for the taking in Jesus Christ, we'll see that this truth of justification, we'll see it unfolded all throughout the book of Romans as we begin to study through. God gives the righteousness that he demands. But thirdly and finally this morning, God gives the righteousness he demands through faith. The end of verse 17, for in it the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation, the way that works, that whole power to save thing works, is that the righteousness of God in justification is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what this last part of the verse is saying is this. The way we connect to the righteousness of God, required by God and provided by God, is simple trust, simple faith in Jesus Christ. Quoting here from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says that spiritual life comes by faith. And contextually, it's a very specific faith. It was, we read it earlier in the chapter, those first seven verses. It is a trust in Jesus as Lord and Christ and Savior. Simply put. The text here says, from faith for faith. Meaning salvation is by faith from start to finish. You don't just come to, to Jesus day one of your salvation by faith, right? You do. The only way in is to take the gift given, receive it as a child, trust him for what he's given you in Jesus and say, yes, I'll take your gift. I believe that the righteousness of Christ is sufficient for me. I believe you will impute that to my account. You'll credit that to my account before holy God and you take the gift. But every day of your life as a believer from then till eternity is a life of faith, right? Because what do you do? Do you just believe the gospel one time and then get up the next day and move on to something besides the gospel? We've talked about this a lot, haven't we? Do you, do you just, is, is the gospel just like the entrance deal? And then you kind of got go to this other level of spirituality that doesn't involve the gospel, it's something else. Is that what happens? This is no in America and in Gilmer County, at least on Apple Festival weekend, okay? I mean, No. That's why Paul, did you catch this? Paul's writing to, he, he believes they're Christians in Rome. He's writing to the church in Rome. And, and what does he say? He said, I'm not just eager to come to Rome and find the pagans in Rome and preach the gospel to them, which he was. He said, church, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are beloved of God 
who are called by God. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Why? Because the same thing keeps you alive in Christ and keeps you moving forward in Christ that saved you in the first place, the gospel. What you need from this sacred desk throughout the history of this church, whether I'm here or not, whether you're here or not, for future generations, is a preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God. Because just like it ushered us into the kingdom of God, it is our food, it is our strength, it is our sustenance. And the faith that we must have to persevere till the end is given and strengthened and fueled by nothing else but the gospel. We don't earn God's righteousness. No bartering, negotiating, paying for the righteousness that God demands. We could never earn it, no matter how long we tried. Plus, here's the other problem with trying to be good and earn salvation. you got to undo the bad. you got to do something with the bad. You can't just start fresh today. If, if it was even possible to start fresh today, it's not. You're going to screw up today and tomorrow and the next day, right? I mean, it's, it's inside. But even if you could start fresh, you've got, a, you've got a, a life up to this point full of sin that deserves the wrath of Almighty God. By the way, Romans 3, 21 to 24 that we're about to read is sort of a parallel and an expansion of Romans 1, verses 14 to 18. We're going to be in Romans a while. Take good notes. Go back and look at these things that we talk about, these connections and, 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 and how this letter unfolds. Romans 1, 1 to 18 is really the, the summary of the whole letter. The verses we're looking at in verses 14 to 18 really give you the outline for the whole letter, give you the theme, the heart of the letter. Romans three twenty one sounds so familiar to what we've been reading already in Romans 1. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That means it's not about us doing things God says do, being good, obeying, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, here's the way it comes, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's the righteousness of God that's in Christ that we receive by faith. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, And it's implied here, and all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How does that justification come? He already said in verse 22, through faith. When we trust Jesus, we are justified by His grace as a gift. We are redeemed through the finished work of Jesus Christ, now risen from the dead. Simply... You know, even children can understand the gospel. Simply said, just as simply stated as I can say it, God takes our badness and punishes it in the death of Jesus. And then he takes the goodness of Jesus, God's own goodness, and he makes it ours. So, so everyone who believes in Jesus is forgiven of all their sin and receives the gift of God's perfect goodness and righteousness. This is the gospel of the righteousness 
of God. This is why Paul was eager and unashamed and ready to preach the gospel to all. This is the doctrine of justification by faith, and this is the gospel by which we are saved. How about you? How about me? Are we eager and unashamed? Are we so confident in the gospel of the righteousness of God that we are unashamed of that message and we are eager, therefore, to tell it? How about you? Just look at your daily conversations. That's where you're going to see the answer to the question. Right? What do you talk about? You say, oh, Chad, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, I just don't talk about it too much. Really? That makes all kind of sense, by the way. That's the most logical thing I've heard today, said no one ever. You realize how dumb that sounds when somebody else says it out loud? How obviously wrong that statement is? If I, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but I just don't talk. Really? Really? Uh, let me... Uh, Guys, let me, let me, let me try something. <clears throat> Tell your wife you're not ashamed of her, you just don't like to talk about her too much. Hello? Why do you think Jesus likes this deal any better? Our silence any better? I mean, you, you, you can act like you, you, you love Jesus, but if you're not talking about him, you don't love him. Right? So I'm real careful to always talk about Miss Betsy up here on Sunday morning <laughs> and every other chance I get because I love Betsy. Are we ashamed of Jesus? Is the reason we're ashamed because we're not confident in the gospel, the righteousness of God, that, that it actually is the only message that's the power of God to salvation? You see, if, we, if, if, if all that's true, then we are going to be eager to talk about him. This is a big deal because Paul takes a whole letter, 16 chapters worth, to unpack the gospel. God gives the righteousness, righteousness he demands by faith in Jesus, our Savior, and as Paul says in another place, our righteousness. John Piper says, be relieved by it, the gospel, daily. Be encouraged by it daily. Be emboldened by it daily. Be empowered daily. How's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? How can you be all those things by the gospel daily, you just leave here today hoping it happens. Throw up a little wish to God. Hey, God, you know, strengthen me by the gospel tomorrow and the next day. And you know, every day this week, I want, God, I want you to strengthen me by the gospel. Is that, is that how it works? You know what's got to happen tomorrow morning? You've got to get up and remember the gospel. Tuesday morning, you've got to get up and preach the gospel to yourself. Wednesday morning, same deal you got to have a repeat performance of Monday and Tuesday where you hear for yourself afresh, teach yourself, preach to yourself the message of grace in Jesus. Popper goes on and says, you live by an alien righteousness. That's not the same kind of alien that we talked about in 1 Peter, okay? 
you live not by your performance, but by God's performance in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You live and stand before holy God covered in the righteousness of Jesus. It's not your righteousness. It's given, a righteousness from Jesus given to you. Count Zinzendorf from hundreds of years ago wrote an amazing hymn. Listen to this. This this, this captures the essence of this message as we wrap it up this morning. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. In these arrayed with joy shall I lift up my head. Is that how you you wake up to the day? Bold shall I stand in thy great day. That's the day of judgment. For who ought or fault to my charge shall lay? Who, who Who can accuse me of anything? When I'm clothed in your righteousness, God, I'm ready for judgment day. That's the way you think. Fully absolved through these, that is Jesus' blood and righteousness, I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. Are you that free by Jesus' blood and righteousness? Are you that eager and unashamed of the gospel? Because you know what it means for you. You know what it's done for you. And you can't wait to tell somebody else about him. Our eagerness to share the good news of Jesus with others depends on our confidence in the power of God to save. May it be so. Let's pray together.